Welcome to Think Bible, the podcast that exists to challenge, edify, and encourage Christian women to think and live biblically, all for the glory of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Welcome, friends, to the Think Bible podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. It's Christmas week, and I love Christmas. We're excited. The The actual day, the 25th, is coming up. Um, and of course, we know that that was not necessarily Jesus's birthday, but it's the day that we've chosen to remember it and celebrate and observe it. And so I don't know about you, but um, at this time of year, this season each year, I like to direct my devotions and my quiet time just a little bit more um, on that birth of Jesus. And so through the Think Bible blog in years past, we've looked at um, some prophecy that has to do with Jesus's birth. We've looked at different characters of that Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men. Um, but this year, I specifically chose to study the verses Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And we all know that passage really well where it talks about, um, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then it goes on to talk more about that government that Jesus will have upon his shoulder. So usually when I read those verses and I'm thinking about Christmas, I focus on that beginning part. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And that is a true promise. It's, it's a true fact that has happened. And it's exciting because we know that Jesus came to die for our sins and to make a way that we could have fellowship with his father forever. However, this year... That phrase, the government shall be upon his shoulder, is the one that really the Lord was just like highlighting it for me in my Bible as I was reading and studying. And I realized I don't actually know what that means. <laughs> I'm kind of ashamed to admit that. You would think by now that's something that would be very obvious, but I didn't know. In the past, I had kind of pictured Jesus like carrying a big bag on his shoulder, kind of like Santa and his toys. Um, but instead of toys inside were all these different government, government officials, people from different nations or whatever, but that doesn't really make any sense at all. <laughs> I don't know where that idea came from. I feel like I've thought that since I was a child. Um, but then I started thinking, well, maybe it means that, you know, kind of like we picture the good angel and the bad angel on our shoulders, whispering in our ear, telling us what to do. Maybe there's some sort of government you know, leader talking to Jesus. And again, I was like, that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. So I decided this Christmas, I was specifically going to study that verse and that specific phrase to find out what it does mean. And I just want to encourage you with this. Um, we can't know everything. We're human, right? But the Holy Spirit will help you and give you his understanding and wisdom when you ask him to help illumine this passage, any passage in scripture. 
So don't be ashamed of what you don't know, um, but be willing to study it out, to dive in, to ask the Holy Spirit for direction and wisdom as you're reading things, and he will give it. He wants us to understand his word. So, um, yeah, I want to share with you what I learned because I think it's really exciting. So it's important to note that while much of this passage refers to that first coming of Jesus, Christmas, the phrase, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, actually refers more to his second coming. Now, if you don't know what that means, let me explain it briefly with a quote from James MacDonald. He says, The baby born in Bethlehem will come again as king. This is the second advent we await to which the first advent drew us nearer. In other words, Jesus couldn't come as king to rule the earth until he came as a baby to save the earth. So Mr. MacDonald explains this further. Although human government has its place, the church's hope... Now here's an aside. Who is the church? It's all believers, right? So I'm a part of the church. Hopefully you are too. The church's hope must be always and only in the promises of God. He said a child would be born, a son would be given, and 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, that child was born exactly as prophesied. That was the first advent. But Isaiah also tells us that Jesus will come again, this time to reign in power. That will be the second advent for which we eagerly await as God's children. So in the immediate context, the passage in Isaiah is describing a time when Israel will no longer be under oppression of her enemies. She will no longer be in exile in Babylon or Assyria. It could be easily interpreted as a political promise, if that's what someone was looking for, that there would be a rescuer who would bring Israel out of captivity, back to the promised land, and would then rule over her people with the traits that are listed near the end of verse 6, the wonderful counselor, all that part. But the other traits listed there reveal this is not an ordinary ruler that is taking over the administration of Israel's government. He's called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And then verse 7 goes on to talk about how this government will only increase and be ruled with peace and will last eternally. Hmm, that doesn't sound like any human government I've ever heard of. <laughs> so as we read, we recognize this ruler is no ordinary ruler, and this kingdom is not an ordinary kingdom. It's not just an earthly government being set up, but a spiritual and a heavenly government. So the phrase, the government shall be upon his shoulder, indicates that Jesus will rule over his people. As I read some commentaries, Matthew Henry gave me some help on this area. He says, the government upon Christ's shoulder is in contrast to the yoke and staff of bondage upon Israel by its oppressors and enemies. Whereas the enemies take Israel by constraint after much bloodshed, war, and violence, Christ brings his rule through peace and brings deliverance to the captives. Here's a direct quote from Matthew Henry. The design of the gospel and the grace of it is to break the yoke of sin 
and Satan to remove the burden of guilt and corruption and to free us from the rod of those oppressors that we might be brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Christ broke the yoke of ceremonial law and delivered us out of the hand of our enemies that we might serve him without fear. This is done by a work of God upon the hearts of men. Realizing that Jesus will reign over the whole earth is very exciting. There will be no more flawed human governments that actually hurt their citizens instead of helping them. This is a bit reminiscent of the Lord's model prayer in Matthew 6 when he prayed, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Looking at some other cross-references in scripture will help us understand what kind of rule God has in mind here. The first one I'd like to look at is Psalm 2, and I'm just going to read verse 12, although the whole psalm is applicable. It says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and he perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. This is speaking of Christ, not just any human ruler. The point of the psalm is that Jesus will ultimately be given the responsibility and the authority to govern all nations. Those nations who submit to his rule and trust in his agenda will be blessed, but those who don't will be destroyed. Psalm 110, 110 tells us a little bit more about this kingdom that Jesus will set up. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord, that is Jehovah, said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. So this shows us the transfer of authority. The power for Christ's rule is given to him by God the Father. What higher authority could there be? Verse 3 of Psalm 110. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. This tells us that Jesus' subjects, which will be you and me, willingly submit to him as evidenced by their obedience and holy living. Well, this is something we can start submitting to Christ in today. We don't have to wait for that final time of rule in the millennial kingdom. We can obey him and live holy lives today. And then verse 4, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now this priest Melchizedek is a confusing figure. There is so much that I do not understand about him. But I, I can tell this from Hebrews 7.3. It says, He was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, and abideth a priest continually. So what I can understand is that Melchizedek was an eternal being. Therefore, I can conclude that Christ's role is also eternal. It will have no end. Moving on to the book of Isaiah, chapter 22, verses 21 through 23. It says, I will clothe him with thy robe, 
and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. There that is again, upon his shoulder. So he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. These verses assure us that God promised to remove all authority, responsibility, and glory from Jerusalem, to take it away from that government which was represented by priests and kings, and to give it, to give all that authority, responsibility, and glory to Jesus permanently. We see that his authority, his rule, is final, sure, and solid. And that's encouraging. Then we move on to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Now it tells us many things about Christ's rule in those two short verses. Number one, Christ's rule will be on the throne of David. We know that Jesus was a descendant of David through his parents, and that David is a type of Christ or a, a picture or a symbol of Christ. David brought peace and prosperity to the Jewish people during his reign, but Christ will do this for all who follow him, both Jew and Gentile. Number two, Christ's rule will execute judgment and justice to all. Number three, Christ's rule will redeem Israel. And number four, Christ's rule will make all his subjects righteous. And that is what the gospel does for us, friend. It takes away our cloak of sin and deceit, and it replaces it with Christ's robe of righteousness. But I think that the words of the prophet Zechariah bring me the most hope for this coming rule of Jesus. Hear what he says in Zechariah 6, 12 and 13. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord. And he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Do you get that? Jesus' rule will not be just a spiritual rule in the hearts of those who believe in him, nor will his rule be a solely political rule over the land of Israel, but it will marry the two, bringing the earth back under a theocracy and government that is ruled by God alone. Jesus is God, and he will rule on the earth during the millennial millennium. <laughs> He will bring peace in both ways, political and spiritual. 
There will be true peace on earth at the second coming of Christ as the king of all. How exciting is that? Maybe you're thinking, well, that sounds nice and good, but what happens between now and then? Isn't there any help from heaven for today? Does God sit idly by and wait for time to pass until he finally decides to act? No, no, my friend. He's already active in the hearts and lives of those people who choose to give themselves to him in faith and in trust. And that's us, Christians. That is the church over which Jesus is the head. Remember Jesus' final words on earth? They're recorded for us in Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. There is that authority and rule that we've been talking about. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Our submission to God's rule now is in preparation for eternity. And the task that he gives us today, which is being his ambassador to the world, is only accomplished through his power. We may look around and feel that the world is only getting worse, never better. People continue to reject God and rebel against his authority. And we might be tempted to think, why should we continue giving the gospel and living for him? Oh, friend, it is important to remember he will ultimately get the victory and will accomplish his will on earth. Philippians 2 reminds us, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In 1 Corinthians 15.25 we see that He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. What enemies is this talking about? Well, it's all of them. It's every person, every government, every spirit, every sin, and even death itself has been vanquished by Jesus Christ our King. And Philippians 2 tells us again, each person will willingly bow before Jesus as the King. How much better it is to submit now to Christ before his judgment comes. So we can see and we know by experience that Christ is already reigning in the hearts of his own. He's also reigning as the head of the church now. Ephesians 1, 21 and 22 speaks to this, where Paul prays that we might know the exceeding greatness of God's power to those who believe, which was demonstrated in Christ's resurrection. Now, Paul continues, God has set Christ at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Finally, in Revelation 19, we see a picture of Christ as the ultimate and final judge of all mankind. 
We see that he wears many crowns. He rides upon a white horse. He's clothed with white linen. And verse 15 and 16 continue. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, I love the Hallelujah Chorus, especially at this time of year. I love to hear that uh, final rendition. Hallelujah. Only Jesus could be worthy to have this place of authority and rule over all, for he is the worthy king. Now, another commentary that I had consulted is from a man named David Guzik. I don't know much about him, (laughs) but he quotes another um, preacher named Gail Irwin. And this is what Pastor Irwin had to say. This is a, a longer quote, but I think you'll see why I'm sharing it. What might such a government look like? The government that Jesus will set up? First of all, it would look like it's king. Politicians of this day look for what they can get from you. Jesus looks for what he can do for you. Leaders of this day surround themselves with servants. Jesus surrounds us with his servanthood. Leaders of this day use their power to build their own empire. Jesus uses his power to wash our feet, to make us clean and comfortable. Leaders of this day trade their influence for money, but God so loved that he gave himself. Generals of this day need regular wars to keep their weapons and skills up to date and to ensure their own advancement, (laughs) but Jesus brings peace and rest to our hearts. The higher the plane of importance one reaches in this world, the more inaccessible he becomes. But Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Leaders of this day are desperate to be seen and heard. Jesus sought anonymity so he could be more useful. Obviously, Jesus is not in charge of the governments of our world. How can we ever believe the government will be upon his shoulders? Actually, his government shows it's working in wonderful ways. Whenever I see someone who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or alcohol and is restored to his family and work, I can see that he is now governed by God. Whenever I see loving Christians gently caring for orphans and those rejected by family, I know I am watching people governed by God. Whenever I see people eagerly learning the Bible and joyously praising God, I know who their governor is. Whenever I see people give up lucrative careers simply to go and share the good news of Jesus, I know they are governed by God. When I see a pastor carefully teach and lead the flock God has given them, I know they are getting signals from their great king. When I see people leave family to live and teach in distant lands because they love the people who have not yet heard, I know they are governed by God. So you see, friends, when we choose to follow God's path for our lives, 
when we willingly submit and obey to his plan and his word, we are demonstrating that Jesus' government has already come to our lives. And while we may be in the minority right now, there will be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, all to the glory of God the Father. Mr. Guzik ended his commentary, and I want to end our podcast with these words. So indeed, the government is alive and working, often silently, mostly unseen. We can be, and we are, by choice, governed by God. Hope and joy and peace and rest cover his subjects. Justice, mercy, and grace amazingly coexist. I like this kingdom. The borders are open. Come on in. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you will come to reign on this earth. And until that time is right, until the fulfillment of all the things that you have planned, we know that you are already working in our hearts and ruling there. And Lord, if there are some listening who don't know that, who have not allowed you to rule in their heart yet, I pray that they would come to that point of decision today, that they would submit themselves and see their need for you as their savior so that you can be their king and bring them these benefits and blessings, the rest and hope and peace and joy and all the others. I pray that this Christmas season would be a blessed time for our listeners for our families as we rejoice in the birth of your Savior, who willingly came to die so that we could know him for all eternity. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing, unspeakable gift. You are great and you are good, and we praise you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas, friends. I pray that Christ is ruling in your homes today. You've been listening to the Think Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Please visit us at our website, www.thinkbible.online, to learn more about our ministry or to take advantage of the resources we have there for you. That's www.thinkbible.online. You can also find us at Facebook. Instagram or Twitter with the name Think Bible. Until next time, let's all think and live biblically for the glory of God.